Some of you will know that my elder son's wife is an American. Wonderful blessing to us. Back in the States, along with her parents, she has seven siblings. We got to know the family around about the time of Matthew and Elizabeth's wedding and were treated with warm southern hospitality and welcomed with open arms. My daughter-in-law's father is a Presbyterian minister. But dismiss from your minds any idea of a stern, straight-laced clergyman. Walt Shepard is a big, ebullient, jovial man who has a wonderful way of putting you at your ease straight away. And he's got a great sense of humor, too, which he uses to wonderful effect, especially when there's tension in the air. If he's frustrated about something, if something's going wrong, he doesn't complain or lapse into silent resentment. He has a phrase which he uses to express how he feels. He says with great emphasis, well, I'm still a Christian. I'm still a Christian. I remember we were um, being driven on quite a long journey to a beauty spot that they wanted to show us in South Carolina. And his wife was trying to guide him. And um, unfortunately, she wasn't making a very good job of it. And um, we were ending up in all sorts of blind alleys and, and cul-de-sacs and places where we didn't want to be. And each time, instead of turning around and saying, Valerie, you're hopeless, which would have been my reaction, I think. It was always, I'm still a Christian. <laughs> now, in our series, we're trying to grapple with some of the difficulties and problems that crop up in the Christian life. And as the time for my, uh, for the end of my full-time ministry approaches, I ask myself the question, what else should I really say? What's important? What, what's really, really important? And the idea behind this series is to try and grapple with some of those problems that so often get forgotten. And we go through life as Christians grappling with them, and nobody really ever helps us with them. That's, that's what I want to try to do over the next few weeks. And as you see from the service paper this morning, I've called this sermon Living with Limitations. Because we all get frustrated, don't we? There are so many things that upset us and annoy us and vex us, especially as we get older. So I look in the mirror, I see Victor Meldrew looking at, at me, and I realize I'm turning, probably turned, into a grumpy old man. How do we, how do we cope with the vexation and the annoyances and the frustrations that come to everyone? Well, that's where Walt Shepard comes to our rescue. He's determined not to give up, not to let, to let the frustrations and the vexations annoy him. He doesn't deny them. He's just determined not to let them win. When life throws him into some difficult situation, his response is, 
I'm still a Christian. And this morning, I want to show you how the Bible helps us to follow his example. This chapter, um, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, is, is a wonderful chapter, and there is so much in it. Um, my idea is that we'll look at it this Sunday and next Sunday, but almost certainly we'll be looking at it on succeeding Sundays as well, because there is so much in this chapter, and it would be a shame to miss it or skirt over it in a very cursory fashion. There is one specific frustration that leaps out at us immediately in this chapter. And it's this. Have you ever noticed, when you're trying to explain the gospel to an unbeliever, or even to talk about spiritual things generally, many folk just don't want to listen. They seem just uninterested. When you mention the name of Jesus, they bridle and make some excuse like, oh, well, yes, yes, I must be getting along now. Alternatively, they may treat the gospel with disdain. Oh, please, you don't believe that nonsense, do you? Of course, if you told them the latest gossip about the goings-on next door, they'd be all ears. Why do people react like that? When you're trying to explain the gospel, people just don't want to listen. Why? What's the reason? Well, we find the reason in the first six verses of 2 Corinthians 4. You see, Paul didn't have an easy relationship with the Christians in Corinth. They thought a great deal of themselves, and they rather despised him. In fact, they had a rather insulting nickname for him, which referred to the fact that in comparison to the other apostles, he was late in coming to faith. Well, that didn't bother him. He was always determined to make them face up to the truth. And so he stresses his determination to be honest in verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting the forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Well, that's fine. But in verses 3 and 4, he comes up against this problem that we face when we're trying to explain the gospel to an unbeliever. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There's an old saying, there's none so blind as them as won't see. And it sometimes feels like that when you're talking to an unbeliever. But it's not so much that they won't see. The fact is that they can't see because the God of this age has blinded their minds. The Bible is quite clear, isn't it? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, that's very discouraging. 
and it's caused some Christians to make a fatal mistake. Because unbelievers are blinded by the God of this world, it appears that the rest of us are let off the hook. It's a wonderful excuse to duck out of sharing your faith. What's the point in explaining the gospel to someone who is unable to understand it? That's a trap into which we must not fall. The next two verses solve the problem. Before Christmas, we spent four Sundays during Advent on these verses, and I don't want to go over old ground, but this verse is the key to the whole matter. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the creative God, made his light shine in our hearts. He switched on the light. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, until in his sovereign mercy, God shone his light into our hearts, making us aware of our need to repent and seek forgiveness, we were in exactly the same place as any other unbeliever. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead in transgressions and sins, and there's nothing less responsive than a corpse. I remember the first dead body that I saw as a hospital chaplain. Quite a shock, really. I can remember him now, a man a huge man, lying in the mortuary. He'd been brought in dead, and I was charged to be with his family as they viewed his dead body. Still, cold, lifeless, dead. And Ephesians chapter 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's where we were before God switched the light on. We were like any other unbeliever. Our minds had been blinded by the God of this world. Now, at that point, there's another trap to avoid. If the only way anyone can understand the gospel is by God switching the light on, shining his light into our hearts, it would appear that he's being unfair. He is doing something which you're not supposed to do under any circumstances these days. He's discriminating. He's making a choice. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. He's being unfair. He's letting the light shine on some and not on others. Well, why shouldn't he? He is a sovereign God. He's not answerable to me or to you. But we can't leave it there. That's why that verse in 1 Timothy 2 is so important. Because it says, do you remember? It says, this is good, praying for people, is good 
and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that gives a tremendous impetus, doesn't it, for our evangelism, for our sharing of the Christian faith. Because in sharing the Christian faith, we're bringing about something that is really close to God's heart, something that he wants to happen. But as we've seen, it's easy to get discouraged because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So what's the answer? The answer is that we must rest in the sovereignty of God. He is in charge. He has over all control. The God of this age may have blinded the minds of unbelievers, but our gracious, loving, compassionate God can restore their sight. Yes, he can. And yes, he does. It's not up to us to question the basis on which he does that. As I say, he's not answerable to us. In the same way that parallel lines are said to meet in infinity, one day we'll understand how God's sovereign decision and human free will are reconciled. But until then, we must accept that all our efforts in sharing the Christian faith are subject to what he wants to happen. Or is there anyone who thinks they know better than God? You see, for me, this is a wonderful release. I don't have to grieve about my failure or blame myself when someone doesn't accept Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's job to enlighten their minds, and he does it in his own way, in his own time, according to his sovereign choice, because he's in charge, he's the one who makes the decision. What I have to do, what you have to do as Christian believers is to share the gospel as honestly and effectively as you can and leave it with him. Now, In a little while, uh, in March, March 16th, 17th, and 18th, we're going to have a wonderful opportunity to share the Christian faith. And next Sunday, and please, please, please don't let us have any snow let Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, Rupert Evans, who is uh, one of the curates from All Saints, Crowborough, is going to come over and introduce himself to us because he's our main mission speaker. 16th, 17th, and 18th of March, we're going to have a mission. It's going to be called uh, Gospel Gold for Linfield. And when Dan comes back and produces the posters, you'll see them everywhere. Uh, There is actually uh, a big advert on the back of last month's good news. Now, during that weekend, we're going to have some wonderful opportunities to share the gospel. On Friday night, up at the Bent Arms, we're going to have an opportunity to invite people to a light supper and to hear a speaker on the believability of the Christian faith. It's going to be called, I Don't Believe It. See, I'm still in Victor Mildrew mode. Uh, We're going to have a a speaker from Premier Radio and uh, a a member of All Saints, Crowborough, who's a, a leading scientist. And they're going to come and talk about how credible and believable the Christian faith really is. So we've got to invite people to that. And then on Saturday morning, there's a ladies' breakfast here, and there's going to be a couple of speakers from uh, Crowborough, ladies who have had difficulties in their Christian lives, but who've overcome them and found the power of God 
alive in their experience. And that's specifically for ladies. The men will serve. We've got our catering supremo at the back there, Terry. Um, as far as that breakfast is concerned, Jenny Machel, of course, is, is, is our real catering supremo. But Terry is, is uh, in charge on that occasion. And uh, the ladies are going to be served by the men. So ladies, invite people. Invite your neighbors. Invite your friends to come and hear that the Christian faith really, really works. And then on Saturday afternoon, we're going to have a family time, messy church, inviting families as much as we possibly can. And then in the evening, there's going to be a pub quiz, again, up at the Bent Arms, and that's for everyone, but especially for the fellas. You see, we're targeting various different people in the church and in the world. That's uh, Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to have a festival service, a mission service, uh, to which we're going to invite as many guests as we possibly can. It's going to be a 10.30 service on the 18th of March. Rupert's going to be our main speaker. And then on Sunday evening, we're going to have a youth festival. And Bernard, uh, our wonderful youth band, is going to be in charge on that occasion, and I think possibly some of the uh, musicians from Crowborough as well. But please, please, please start praying about this. Start inviting people. 16th, 17th, 18th of March, okay? It's not very far away. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. And we've got this wonderful incentive in sharing the gospel because although the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, praying for people is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't consign anyone arbitrarily to a Christless eternity. Of course he doesn't. He respects our free will. Now, how his sovereignty and our free will are reconciled, well, we must leave to him. I think one of the most helpful uh, explanations of this problem of reconciling God's sovereignty and human free will is, and this especially appeals to those like me who are still in the dark ages as far as hymns are concerned, sorry, music group. Uh, as you approach the pearly gates over the over the entrance to heaven, it says, whosoever will may come. In other words, the gate is open for everyone. Whosoever will may come. And then when you get inside and you turn around, there's another text over the inside, and it says, chosen by grace. So, each and everyone can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Each and everyone can know new life in Christ. Are you frustrated by your old human nature? Are you like Paul, who said, I, I delight in God's law, but there is inside me another law fighting against the law which my reason approves and making me a prisoner. Oh, wretched man that I am! The good I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Do you feel like that sometimes? You don't want to be selfish, do you? I don't want to be selfish, critical, judgmental, nasty, lustful, disobedient, willful, all those things. You don't want to be like that any more than I want to be like that. 
But there is a flaw in human nature. It's called sin. And we've got to be delivered from it. And there's only one who can deliver us from it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we come back and back and back to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he gave us this sacrament of his body and blood. So we could remember that there was a moment when his body was broken, when his blood was shed. And you remember the words that he used, this is my blood which is shed for you so that sins may be forgiven, so that we can have new life in Christ. We're going to leave it there for this week. Um, I'm actually halfway through the sermon I intended to preach, but uh, not to worry. Uh, I want to use every opportunity to squeeze this chapter dry. We won't do that, of course, but we can get so much more juice out of it by taking verse by verse next Sunday, um, at least in the 9.30 service. We shall be in 2 Corinthians 4. In the 11.15 service, uh, we shall be hearing from another Anglican curate. They're all over the place. Um, From St. Mary's Broadwater, who is the uncle of two children who are going to be baptized next Sunday at the 11.15 service. That's why he's preaching. But at 9.30, we shall be back in 2 Corinthians 4.